I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myberg-Guzman. Today on Santa Cruz Local, we're covering the Santa Cruz City Council meeting on Tuesday and the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors meeting. First, City Council. Kara, tell us about this project at 190 Westcliff. What do people need to know about what happened? This project calls for 89 housing units. They'd be built in the parking lot that's across the street from the Dream Inn. On Tuesday, the city council voted four to three to approve the project. And as part of the project, the city is going to build a roundabout at Bay Street and Westcliff Drive. It would replace the three-way stop sign that's there right now. So beyond the housing, the project also calls for two floors of underground parking. It also includes a cafe, a small market hall with eateries and a spa. The land is owned by the corporation that owns the Dream Inn. And interestingly, this project would take advantage of the state's density bonus law. That's kind of rare for the city. What is the state density bonus law? Essentially, the law allows developers to ask for more height than the current zoning allows. In exchange, they'd have to create more than the baseline number of affordable housing units. So for this project, the developer is asking for an extra story of height, but in exchange, the developer is going to create eight units of affordable housing for people with very low incomes. Altogether, 10 of the 89 units will be affordable. What are some of the arguments for and against this project? Many of the opponents came from the Clearview Court mobile home park next to the project. There's 68 units there and about 150 people living in the mobile home park. Many of those residents, as well as other neighbors, are worried about the traffic and noise that the project would bring. They're also worried about the building height. The project would be 47 feet, about as high as the white condos that are across Bay Street. For comparison, the Dream Inn is 83 feet. Clearview Court residents say the project would block out the sun. Here's Phyllis Galvin, a resident of Clearview Court. People that live on the fence where there'll be no sun, where we'll be next to the trash that will only be picked up briefly, but I'll be able to smell it after it's sat for a few days. Um, We've fought to to keep our low-cost housing I truly have low-cost housing. Others say the project has too much market-rate housing. Here's Lisa Glick, a resident from Lighthouse Avenue nearby. Yes, there will be low-income units. That's a good thing. That's an important thing. That's a necessary thing for this community. But what about the other units? Who is really going to own these units? And who is really going to actually live in these units? Are these going to be... VRBOs, Airbnbs, is this really a viable solution for housing for those of us that live in this community? Meanwhile, those who support the project point out that the city is nowhere near meeting its state-mandated goals for producing very low-income housing. They say, well, how else is the city supposed to produce very low-income units when public sources of funding are slim? Here's Laura Waltz. I have been a resident of the city of Santa Cruz for almost 20 years. The entire time I have lived here, housing has been a problem. And not only has it not gotten better, it's gotten worse. So understandably, there are impacts anytime a development project happens. 
but we're looking at either 89 housing units or a parking lot. So please vote in favor of this. So why we are here? So we are here to support this project. Here's Sergio Rangel, president of a hospitality workers union headquartered in Pacific Grove. To protect this project from giving more opportunities to the working people of the Santa Cruz. This is the time that you guys pass this project for the working family people. Family people from Santa Cruz have to be first. Kara, how much would these units cost? Well, the developer says it's still too early to say how much the market rate units will be. Construction will take about two years. But for comparison, the white condos across Bay Street have sold for $655,000 to $1.1 million in the past 12 months, according to real estate data. As for the eight very low income units, the price depends on the applicant's income. For a couple with an income of $49,000, a one-bedroom unit would cost $142,000. A three-bedroom unit would cost $226,000 for a family of four with an income of $61,000. Those two other low-income units would be slightly more expensive than that. Many of the opponents of the project wanted a full environmental impact report. Why wasn't there one? In short, the project didn't require a full environmental impact report because it fit the general plan. The city already did a full environmental impact report in 2012 for projects that fit the general plan. To be clear, there was significant environmental analysis. About 90 to 95% of the work of a full environmental impact report was completed for this project. There were technical analyses for things like traffic, geology, to look at cliff stability, noise, air quality, and more. On Tuesday, Councilmember Chris Crone pushed the council to seek a full environmental impact report. But as one of the attorneys for the city described it, the city council would have to prove substantial evidence that contradicts the conclusions of the report in order to seek a full environmental impact report. This attorney said that while she heard many concerns about traffic, for example, she didn't hear any substantial evidence that contradicts the report. One thing to consider is that if the council forced a full environmental impact report, the city would likely be sued and lose. Here's Vice Mayor Justin Cummings. I'm very much for trying to increase affordable housing to the maximum extent possible in Santa Cruz because I agree with some of my colleagues that as home prices go up and as we see more expensive homes being built, that is gonna drive the land costs up and costs around for everyone. So it does have the potential to make it less affordable um, for people who live here to buy homes in the future. That being said, um, I do have concerns with the legal challenges that we might be facing because of the fact that there are state laws in effect that have very serious implications for us if we deny this project. Essentially, the council sounds like it was hemmed in by state law here, right? Correct. State law limits cities from blocking projects that meet general plan and zoning requirements. 
and state law limits cities from requiring a full environmental impact report when there isn't substantial evidence to prove that you need it. And what was the vote? The vote was four to three with council members Chris Crone, Drew Glover, and Sandy Brown voting against the project. Mayor Martine Watkins, Vice Mayor Justin Cummings, and council member Cynthia Matthews and Donna Myers voted for the project. What else happened at City Council? One thing you need to know is that the city is going to have a special meeting on Tuesday, October 29. We know of two things on the agenda so far. There's a settlement regarding a lawsuit about a deal that the city made with a developer who wanted to build a housing project at Pacific and Laurel Streets. In exchange for not having to build any inclusionary units, the developer gave land to the city where the city could build a 100% affordable unit project. And the second thing on the agenda that we know of is that the city may call for emergency just cause eviction rules. The council is considering a possible early start for the just cause eviction rules called for in AB 1482. You may remember we talked about it in a previous episode. These rules are supposed to start January 1, but several residents who spoke at the council meeting on Tuesday said they're facing eviction because of the law. And a side note, on Tuesday, the recall petition signatures were submitted. The county clerk will be verifying the signatures within the next 30 days. Also, tell us about the big item at the afternoon council session. There was an update on the sequel to the city's corridor plan that was aimed at updating the city's zoning to match the higher density called for in the general plan. Can you tell us about that? Okay, let's start with a quick recap. The corridor plan would have allowed more housing units along Soquel Avenue, Lower Ocean Street, and parts of Mission Street. The corridor plan got a lot of pushback from neighbors, especially on the east side, so the council shelved that plan in 2017. If you remember back in August, the council went a step further and actually killed the plan. But the council told the city staff to, quote, reconcile the differences, close quote, between the zoning and the general plan. On Tuesday, the council heard about the new state law, SB 330. It limits the city from reducing the density in its zoning or general plan unless it moves that same density elsewhere in the city. One option on the table was changing the general plan and moving that density elsewhere in the city. That would have taken a lot of public outreach in two to four years. It would have cost at least $750,000. Instead, the council voted to apply for a grant to create objective design standards. Why does the city want objective design standards? So objective design standards are rules that are measurable for things like building materials, setbacks, window heights, building heights. These are guidelines that the city can evaluate projects by. As this new state law, SB 330, it limits how cities apply subjective design standards. So now it's a lot harder for cities to reject a project based on things that are not measurable, like saying it doesn't preserve the neighborhood's character. The city does have some objective design standards, but they don't apply everywhere. 
In the next year, the city's going to seek community input to make these objective design standards. This effort's going to cost somewhere between $350,000 to $450,000, but this grant, which the city is guaranteed to get, would be for $310,000. All right, let's turn to the County Board of Supervisors. They met Tuesday afternoon as well. The main thing they tackled was whether to allow an election among rural residents to tax themselves for more fire service. Stephen, tell us more about that. Rural voters in Santa Cruz County will get to decide whether they want to tax themselves to have more firefighters covering their area in the winter. The county supervisors unanimously approved this election at Tuesday's meeting. For background, we're only talking about County Service Area 48. This is unincorporated county areas like Coralitas, Davenport, Bonnie Doon, north of Bonnie Doon, and kind of near Summit Road. So if you live in those areas, you should get a ballot sometime this fall, and you have until January 14th to respond. Tell us more about this problem that this ballot measure is hoping to address. The problem is there are fewer firefighters and there's been more calls for service. There used to be three firefighters responding each call, now there are two. The reason for that is there are just fewer career CAL FIRE firefighters out there and there are also a lot fewer volunteers. And also on top of that, CAL FIRE costs have increased. Tell us more about the tax. How much would the residents pay? It depends on where you live and the size of your land. The state has a fire risk map that shows which areas are more prone to wildfire than others. So the assessment weighs that. And then it also weighs how big your land is. So the more land you have, the more you pay. The, the county calculated that the typical homeowner would pay about $148 with this. It would raise about $1.5 million annually, and it would pay for more firefighters as well as some updates on equipment. Okay, so what were people saying? Were there a lot of people there at Tuesday's meeting? There was a bit of opposition from some of the rural residents who showed up. Some of them said they're already taxed in an assessment that goes to CAL FIRE's needs. And also, this new money wouldn't pay for more volunteer efforts when they've seen a big drop in volunteers. The proponents of the tax included a lot of volunteer firefighters and leaders themselves. They said that you need three firefighters on a lot of rescues and medical calls. And also, we're in increased risk for wildfire danger all year, and more protection is needed to protect lives and property. We should say that there have been several public meetings in some of these areas. There was a meeting in Bonnie Dune that drew about 100 people, and there was mixed support for the new tax, according to the county staff. Is there anything else we need to know about this ballot measure? The county is expected to set up a website soon that will list the assessment for each of the 10,000 parcels that are in this plan. It needs 50% plus one to pass, and on January 14th, they're going to tally the votes and go from there. All right, let's switch gears. Stephen, give us an update on the proposal to put a Nissan dealership at 41st Avenue and SoCal Drive. This was a contentious topic at the Board of Supervisors meeting. It was essentially to allow a zoning change for a new Nissan dealership. This is basically across the street from Ocean Honda. We're covering it because the county's been wrestling with this one for about two years. There was a lawsuit in which a judge ruled that the county didn't look at alternative plans for this. The land in question is about two and a half acres on eight parcels, 
And Supervisor John Leopold described it as a dumpy car wash. And basically, it had been sitting there semi-blighted for many years. So the question was to change the zoning. The board voted four to one to change it. Zach Friend was the only supervisor who voted no. He said he felt in the future the land could be used for something else. So why was the board generally supportive of this project? This project is in Supervisor Leopold's district, and he said this area just hadn't been developed for a long time, and he felt that it should be. An underlying factor that they didn't talk about was that car dealerships tend to bring a lot of tax money to counties and cities, so I have to believe that was a factor. Some residents at the meeting opposed it. Nora Hockman said she works at Dominican Hospital and lives in Soquel. She said it takes her sometimes 45 minutes to drive that one mile distance. But I mean, that's kind of insane, really. There are car haulers for Honda. There are delivery 18 wheelers for Petco. To put another car dealership in front of us at this busy intersection I mean, maybe that's what you're looking for, is that I will never get home again. It, it will never happen. So I ask you to reject this for all the reasons you've heard before. Don't chase the money. We don't need the money as much as we need that corner for another use. Manu Koenig, who's challenging Supervisor John Leopold's seat, was also at the meeting. He said that approving this car dealership went against the 2014 Sustainable Santa Cruz County Plan. I can think of no more important intersection on, in our entire county than 41st Avenue and SoCal. Are we going to create another temple to the automobile? Or are we going to use this opportunity to create a temple to community and sustainability? Board Chairman Ryan Kennedy summed it up like this before he voted yes. I'm reminded of the Costco uh, proposal in Santa Cruz, there's a lot of opposition to it, and they showed the data that people were driving from Santa Cruz all over the place to go to Costco's. I don't believe that if you get rid of this car dealership that people will stop buying cars, they'll just drive over the hill or to other places to drive cars. He also noted that even if their housing were built there, people would probably still complain about new traffic. The other factor that Leopold said was that developers didn't seem to be interested in this lot anyway. He said, we've waited decades for something to happen on that corner, and nothing has. All right, so let's switch gears again. Stephen, what else do we need to know from Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting? Really quick, there were some revisions to the county's affordable housing guidelines. Essentially, they're going to add more standards for applicants to prevent them from taking on risky loans or excessively large mortgage payments. And also, they want to discourage refinancing a lot. There's going to be penalties of up to $1,000 for unauthorized refinancing of affordable units. The last thing was that the county approved a new Syringe Services Program Advisory Commission. This replaces a more informal body that was advising the County Board of Supervisors on syringe services. The supervisors will hear a second reading to create this new commission on November 5th. Also related to syringes and needle exchange, the Harm Reduction Coalition of Santa Cruz County submitted a new application to the State Department of Health to operate a syringe exchange program. This is separate from the County Board of Supervisors' action on Tuesday. You might remember the same group had pulled their application earlier this year after some public outcry. This new application does not list any services for Felton or Watsonville. It also has a heavy emphasis on home delivery and needle disposal. 
The new application maintains the current services for Santa Cruz, which is a Sunday night needle exchange on Coral Street. There's going to be a news conference on Wednesday about this. That's it for this episode of Santa Cruz Local. Thanks to our members. Thank you especially to our Guardian Level members, Elizabeth and David Doolin, Patrick Riley, Chris Necklison, and the Kelly family. If you want to be a member or sign up for our newsletter, you can do so on our website, santacruzlocal.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SC Local. I'm Kara Meiber Guzman. And I'm Stephen Baxter. Thanks for listening to Santa Cruz Local.